Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is really good to see you this morning. And um, you probably will hear cheers for the runners passing by. And I hope that does not distract any of us, but maybe would somehow encourage us. I uh, hear cowbells and all kind of stuff. More cowbell, please. Uh, but as we continue to worship uh, this morning, uh, I'd ask if you have a Bible to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. And uh, we will be looking at several parts of this. We are uh, ending our study in Deuteronomy in just a few weeks. We've been in the book for over a year now. And hopefully, if you've been tracking along with us, you have seen that it is a story of God doing amazing things for his people. Out of his grace, for his glory, that he's taking his people who were literally in bondage and in slavery and leading them to a land of promise so that they could thrive as his people. All along the way, God's people are doubtful, they're rebellious, they're instances of them wanting to go back to when they were in bondage because of the convenience of uh, food and and comfort, uh, believe it or not. There were instances of them being led astray by other cultural idols that they passed along the way. And all the while, God remains faithful to his people who at times were unfaithful. And so there's a great story of God's redemption uh, of his people by his grace and for his glory and for the good of his people and that the nations would come to know his good name. And so all of the Old Testament points us to Jesus and the story of the Exodus and what is seen in the book of Deuteronomy leads us to Jesus. And there's stuff here for you and I today to take away. If you are not a Christian, we hope that this will be an opportunity for you to hear the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for you. And if you are a Christian, I hope that this is going to be a time for us to grow in faith and grace and grow in repentance together. So let me pray, uh, and then uh, we will get started. Father God, thank you for this morning, a time to gather with your people as your people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us through your word this morning by your Holy Spirit. God, if there are those among us who are doubters, seekers, skeptics, non-believers, God, I pray that you would ignite an understanding of your grace and goodness in hearts and minds this morning. God, for those of us who are believers, God, who struggle with sin and idols and doubts as well, Lord, I pray that you would bring a fresh repentance and a fresh faith in our hearts this morning as well. We thank you in Christ's good name. Amen. This morning we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to live as covenant people what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God and each other and what that, how that plays out for our lives today. Now, the word covenant may be a foreign term to you. Maybe you're familiar with the word covenant because of a neighborhood association that you were a part of. Or if you are familiar with marriage, marriage is a covenant relationship. Basically, covenant is different than uh, maybe a contractual business agreement. Covenant is a relationship based on promise. So if you've ever attended a wedding, maybe you're married or maybe uh, you've attended a wedding or you're planning a wedding or something, you know that a point comes in a wedding ceremony where a husband and wife-to-be walk down an aisle in front of their friends and family and they stand uh, maybe on an altar or on some steps or out on a farm or, or wherever you're getting married and they have a moment where they exchange vows. They make promises to each other based on uh, the relationship that they're going to have, saying, you know, maybe till death do us part, sickness and in health. Maybe those are some of the familiar ones uh, you have heard before. And basically, this is a relationship based on promise, saying we are going to do life together no matter what happens. Never is it a good idea to have a great wedding and exchange these vows and say, well, honey, 
I made promises to you. I, I promised to love you. And, and I said it that one time. So you should know that I love you. Like if a husband were to tell his wife on an altar, I love you, we're married, and they kiss, and then the next 40 years he would totally checked out watching football, uh, not attending to his wife's needs, he probably would not be a good husband, right? Or if a wife said, hey, honey, I will love you till death do us part, and then she said, all right, I, I said I love you, so that one-time love should be good enough. That one-time proclamation of love at our wedding is, is good enough, so I'm just going to check out and do my own thing and maybe come back in you know, a couple weeks or whatever. No, that would not be a healthy covenant marriage. Would you agree? <laughs> in the same way, God's covenant relationship with his people is marked by ongoing expressions of that covenant promise together. God ongoingly is showing his grace to his people, and God expects his people to respond in faithful obedience to them, not so that they would be in a covenant, but because they are in a covenant relationship. It's the same way that a husband and wife uh, get to do life together and express love and grace to one another for a lifetime as God's intention, uh, so that uh, it is based on that promise they made before, but it is expressed throughout a lifetime. And so today what we see is God renewing this covenant relationship with his people in Deuteronomy 29. He is uh, giving them ongoing instruction based on his promises that he has made to his people for generations and generations to come. And so what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to highlight four ways in, in Deuteronomy 29, four ways or four examples of what it means to live a life defined by God's promises, what it means for you and I as covenant people in Christ to live out those covenant promises. Because you may be here like me and became a Christian when you were young and said, well, you know, I made a proclamation of faith when I was eight, so I'm getting into heaven and I'm just going to go do my own thing. Well, friends, that's not living a covenant life. That's not living based on the promises of God. And that's how I lived for a while. I, I said a prayer when I was eight, got dunked in a creek. I'm good. But friends, I don't want us to live like that. Uh, a life of covenant faith is based on the promises of God and is expressed ongoingly by our obedience to him. And so what we're going to see, we're going to see four descriptions of that today. The first is this. First, to live a life defined by God's promises, to live a life of, of covenant living in Christ, we first must remember God's promises and his work in history. Remember God's promises and his work in history. Look at verses uh, 1 through 9 with me. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread. You have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manassites. 
Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Friends, we see here that to live a life of based on God's promises, that covenant living is based on remembering God's promises and his work in history. You see here, as, as Moses is instructing God's people, they've been wandering the wilderness for nearly 40 years. And he is saying, look, as we go into this land of promise, you're to live life differently, but never forget what God has promised and never forget what he has done to prove his covenant faithfulness to you. He, he throws back their memory to where, what they had seen in Egypt four decades before of, of how God did many signs and wonders and threw plagues on Egypt so that God's people could be freed. He, he recounts what had happened over the past 40 years, how God had provided food for them and how God had made it so that their clothes and shoes would not wear out as they wandered through the wilderness toward the land of promise. You see, friends, if we're going to live a life based on God's promises, if we are going to live as covenant people, people, it's not just enough to say, well, I made a profession of faith when I was eight and I got baptized, so I'm good. I'm checking out until I'm on my deathbed. That's not living a life of covenant promise, but rather we are to think about what God has done throughout biblical history. So it's great to read the Bible and be like, wow, this is fantastic. Look what God did for Israel. This is amazing. It's good to look back through church history if you're, I love the History Channel. It's like my favorite channel. It's the only reason we have cable. Well, that and the sci-fi, but that's not biblical. So we'll talk about the History Channel, which sometimes kind of is, unless it's Ancient Aliens, which is weird, but it's still a good show, kind of. But I love watching history stories on the History Channel. I like reading historical books. I love hearing about the faith of people who founded our nation, even though sometimes it was bad faith, <laughs> like Thomas Jefferson took scissors to his Bible. Bad idea. Don't ever cut up your Bible. Uh, that's just dumb. But I like hearing the stories of faith, how God used even imperfect people to do things throughout history. I love reading about the Reformation. I love reading about the early church in the third and fourth century, how uh, creeds and confessions were founded. I love reading about how God has done amazing things in different parts of the world through missionaries who are under oppression and under persecution. It's great to recount God's faithfulness, not only through biblical history, but just through history of the church. More importantly, maybe for you, it's important to recount your story, your personal story, the story of faith in your family, maybe how God has done amazing things things for you despite a hard season. Maybe there is a hard season you are facing now. Maybe your family is a family of total disregard of the gospel, and here you are entertaining the faith. Maybe God is doing a work in you, and you're the first person to be a Christian in your family. Maybe, maybe you come from a long line of believers. Maybe you were a pastor's kid or a missionary's kid. It's wonderful to think back, to remember God's promises, and to see God's work in history. So I want to ask you that this morning. Think about your story of faith. What are some of the high points and low points that God was at work? How has God shown his grace to you? Because if we're going to live lives based on God's promises, if we're going to live life as a covenant people in relationship with God and each other, we must always remember God's promises and remember his work and history. But secondly, I want to look at this. We need to be people 
living of promise and a covenant relationship with God, and that's marked by resisting idols. Resisting idols. Look at verse 16. You know how he lived in the land of Egypt, how he came through the midst of the nations through which you passed, and you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold which were among them. Beware lest there be you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve those gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poison, poisonous and bitter fruit. Friends, to live a life of, based on God's promise and his covenant people, we have to resist idols. Now, we read the Old Testament and we hear about the idols of uh, Baal and, and other, other idols that were cultural idols, that were religious idols and spiritual idols. And maybe you're here today thinking, well, there's no stone statues that I want to bow down to. There's no temple of doom that I'm tempted to go worship in. There, there's nothing like that. But friends, we have cultural idols today. An idol is anything that we are tempted to place in the, in the area of God in our lives. Whatever is occupying our mind's affection and attention, that is what an idol is. It could be something cultural. It could even be something spiritual. Anything that steals your affection or attention from God, anything that takes the predominant place in your life can be an idol. It can be bad things such as greed, such as... Um, uh, drug uh, abuse. It could be something bad such as, uh, such as maybe finding your identity in something other than Christ. It can be uh, a lust for power, a lust for status, a lust for a certain kind of reputation. It could take the form of something wicked, but it also can take the form of something good. And I think in our culture today, especially in the South that is over-churched, it is great to find, it is, is a great possibility that we find our identity, that a false idol in our lives is maybe our religion, maybe our good moral record, maybe our good theological rigmarole in our brain, maybe even the tradition from where we come, or maybe the degree we have. It could be any Christless religion that's overly moralistic and overly intellectual, but if there's no Jesus in it, then it is an idol. It is a false God. And friends, every single one of us have something in our lives that is wooing us away from the Lord. What is it for you? Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's desire for power, for status, for reputation. Maybe it is something spiritual that has no Jesus in it. Maybe it is an oval, overly moralistic record, or maybe it's an overly intellectual, uh, religious vocabulary. Friends, if Jesus is not in it, then it is an idol. It is a false God. And if we're going to live a life based on God's promises as his covenant people, we must first remember God's promises and his work in history. And second, we must resist idols. We must repent. We must turn from them and turn back to Jesus. So friends, what idol is it in your heart that tempts you to love someone or something other than Jesus? Whatever it is, it's an idol. And we need to confess and repent to the Lord. But third, I want us to see this. We are to cultivate a humble heart. I love what verse uh, Eight, verse 18 really indicates that idolatry is not just a thing that you do, but it's an issue of the heart. 
um, speaking about having uh, a heart that is bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. But look at verse 19. When he hears the words of this sworn covenant and he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. That's scary, right? Have you ever walked in pride? Maybe at your job saying, well, I can do this because I'm the best employee here. Or maybe at your school saying, well, I'm going to ace this test because I'm the smartest person in my class. Or I'm going to win this award because I'm the most talented or I'm the best at what I do. It can even be expressed in religion. Well, of course I'm going to be good with the Lord because I'm so moral. I've never sinned, ever. Or because I know such and such about the faith and such and such about religion. I have this kind of mind that, that maybe I'm so smart God will love or accept me. Friends, it is such a strange paradox to me that anyone who is a Christian could be prideful. How can we who are saved by grace through Christ be prideful people? But it's there. It's an issue of the heart. It is so easy for us to be stubborn in our hearts and rather than plead before the Lord, God, thank you that you are a good and gracious God, that we can walk up to the Lord and say, God, thank you for loving me because look at my resume. Look at how religious I am. Look at how spiritual I am. Look at how moral I am. Look at how humanitarian I am. It is so easy for us to go there. And friends, that is what it means to walk in the stubbornness of heart. Just like the person in verse 19, someone who may hear the words of God's covenant saying, you know, a covenant is based on God's promises. And it is easy for us to hear the words of the gospel, the words of God's promises, and totally disregard them and walk in the stubbornness in our, of our heart and saying, well, I will be safe because of X, Y, and Z. Friends, I want to warn us all, Christians and non-Christians alike, that we need to be very much on guard against a prideful heart, against walking in a stubbornness of heart. This these words should scare us. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous or bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart. Dis disregarding the covenant of the Lord and saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Scary stuff. Friends, that is not the way we are to live if we are living a covenant life, a life based on God's promises, a life based on the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So friends, I want us to think about that first, to remember God's promises and to see his work in history. Second, to resist idols, whether they be cultural or false gods or even seemingly good religious things that take up our affection and attention. Third, we are to cultivate a humble heart. Friends, that's what happens when you pray and when you read scripture and when you worship together, when we gather to worship, it is a time for us to massage the covenant gospel into our hearts so that we will have humble hearts and not prideful hearts, not fearful hearts. 
We're to gather in community together, whether that be a missional community or Bible study or a fellowship hangout time on the weekend, grilling out, watching football, doing whatever is fun for you and your friends. But that's a time to be encouraged in the faith, to have a humble heart, to share the story of faith and your struggles and to hear the struggles and stories of faith of others. That brings us to a point of community and humility together rather than prideful stubbornness. It brings us to a point to be reminded of God's faithfulness, God's promises, God's goodness, helps us resist idols and cultivate a humble heart. But lastly, I want us to see this. If we're going to live a life based on God's promises as covenant people in the gospel, we are to leave a legacy of faith. We're to leave a legacy of faith. Look at verse... uh, Verse 12 says this, So that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever who is standing here today with us before the Lord our God, and whoever is not here with us today. Moses is establishing, reestablishing this covenant relationship between God and his people and and affirming that over God's people. And he says, hey, look, this is based on God's promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It is not only for us here, it is for those out there. In verse 29, one of my favorite verses, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That is a beautiful picture of what it means to leave a legacy of faith as we look back of how God has established a legacy of faith from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down to Israel, and through Moses' leadership, how he has done that, woven that through Old Testament history in the Bible, how he wove that up to the time of Jesus, how Jesus steps on the scene and says, I am the living new covenant for God's people. And as we see how that legacy is passed on through the apostles, through the book of Acts, and through the New Testament epistles, and through revelation and then out through early church history up through middle medieval times and up through the reformation and then past the enlightenment and over to the americas and through the reformation and um and then through the great awakening of uh, puritans here in the states and how that has passed on even to us today there's a great legacy of faith that you were a part of whether it is in your family line or not, if you are a Christian, you are part of a legacy of faith and part of being in that covenant relationship with God and with others is to pass on a legacy of faith. If you have children, it is your number one priority to make disciples of those little kids. Friends, I just have to share this story with you off the cuff because it happened this morning to my surprise. My son brought a guitar to church today. We were getting in the van, ready for church, and my son, he's wearing a polo and a tie. There you go. And he brings his little electric guitar bag and carries it in, and as the worship team is sound checking and rehearsing up here, my son sat in the back row back there and got out his guitar and played along. I didn't tell him to do it. I didn't even mention it. 
I was fighting with the printer trying to get bulletins, and I come down here, and my son's playing his guitar on the back row, wanting to play along with the worship team. Friends, that ignites such joy in my heart that God is somehow working in the life of my almost six-year-old boy to want to be a part of something bigger than himself, to be a part of what God is doing, to be a part of God's people. That, I'm going to live off that all week, man. I took a picture, put it on Facebook, of course. So friends, how are you leaving a legacy of faith? Faith is an active relational trust. That's what I love here is that it says, hey, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Sometimes we don't understand why God does what he does. Sometimes we don't even understand theological nuances of the Bible. But we trust the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law So friends, are you passing on a legacy of faith, a faith that is active relational trust in who God is and what he's done, a faith that is based on God's promises, a faith that remembers God's work throughout biblical history, a a faith that is resisting idols, a faith that is cultivating a humble heart, a faith that is passing on a legacy. Is that the legacy you are passing on? Are you passing on a legacy full of idols, a legacy full of sin, a legacy full of greed, are full of pride, a legacy full of fear, a legacy full of doubt and distrust and cynicism and skepticism and disbelief. Friends, that is not what I want for my kids. It's not what I want for your kids or for the people in your life. Even if you have no children, it is, you're passing on a legacy to the next generation through the relationships that you have in work and school and neighborhood and church. So friends, what kind of legacy are you leaving? It is a legacy of faith. Because it's not about knowing the right stuff, but trusting God through the unknown. So what does this mean for us in Christ? We talk about a covenant relationship, living a life based on God's promises. What does this mean for us? In Christ, we are brought into a covenant relationship with God the Father and a covenant relationship with each other. Jesus affirms this. And the epistles affirm this, that in Christ we are part of God's legacy. We are part of God's story of redemption. We are part of a covenant relationship with God the Father and each other. In Christ, we are empowered by his Holy Spirit to live with remembrance, to live in repentance, to live in humility, and to live in a legacy of faith. And this is why Jesus' call of the gospel is to repent and believe. This is for Christians and non-Christians alike. Can you imagine what would happen if you were not a Christian and you repented and believed in the gospel? Can you imagine the impact of what would happen if you are a Christian and rather than saying, hey, I went to the altar and made a promise like a, like a wedding vow and then I walked away and lived my own life. But if you repented of that and said, no, I'm gonna live a life as a covenant member of God's family. I wanna live a life based on God's promises. I wanna live a life that is characterized by remembrance, by repenting of idols, by humility, and by passing on a legacy of faith. Can you imagine the impact that that would have on your life, on your family, on your neighborhood? on your workplace, in your school, in this church, in this city. Friends, it would impact the world. And that is the call of the gospel. So what we're going to do now as we do every Sunday is have a time of response. If you are uh, 
not a believer, I would encourage you to stay where you are as the worship team will lead us in worship. And I would encourage you to reflect on the good news that Christ is uh, the living covenant for us, that God uh, sent his son Jesus to die so that we may enter a covenant relationship with God the Father. If you don't know Jesus, we want to introduce you to him and help you understand what it means to live a life based on God's gospel promises. If you are a Christian, I want us to take a, a few minutes to repent. Repent of sin repent of idols, repent of pride, repent of fear, and to turn back to Jesus in belief in the gospel and to cultivate a heart of humility in light of the grace of God. We'll have uh, other ways to respond. If you are part of the ministry of redemption, there is a giving basket in the back. If you uh, give back to um, the work of ministry through Redemption Church. Also before you, you will see two tables set with bread, wine, and juice. This is what we do every Sunday to remember who Christ is and what he's done. It is uh, for us to remember that Jesus' uh, body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. Um, let me read this. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and said to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the way you have proven your faithfulness to your people throughout generations. God, I pray now that you would stir up our minds, attention, and hearts' affection to you, that you would cultivate humble hearts within us. God, that you would have us resist cultural idols, repent of personal idols, of sin, of pride, of fear. And God, I pray that you would stir up within us to live as people who live lives based on your promises, not on our own moral record or spiritual resume. And God, I pray that we would live as people who are in a covenant relationship with you as our Father and with Jesus the Son and with the Holy Spirit and God with each other in community. God, I pray that those things would happen for your glory and for our joy and that the good news of Jesus would spread through our lives to the nations. We ask this in his holy name. Amen.